Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and thank you for listening to Frontline with me, Jerome Starkey. An American Patriot missile is believed to have shot down a Russian spy plane over Ukraine as the chair of NATO's military council warns Europe must prepare for war. We're in Kharkiv again, and this is the scene of yet another Russian My name is Jerome Starkey. I'm the defense editor at The Sun newspaper, and this is Frontline, your latest roundup of the most important news from the war in Ukraine. We'll start with the shooting down of a Beriev A-50 Russian surveillance and early warning aircraft, uh, details of which emerged on the morning of the 15th of January. The, uh, this, is, this is a £260 million plane that is effectively a flying air traffic control station that can track friendly and hostile planes and missiles up to about 650 kilometres away. It's a precious Russian asset one of only nine that was in service, uh, shot down, according to Ukrainian officials, over the Sea of Azov, uh, we understand, with the death of up to 15 crew on board. At the same time, an Aleutian 22M, which is a command and control aircraft, was forced to make an emergency landing at Annapa. That is a Russian airfield uh, on the Black Sea and the Russian and the sort of peninsula of Russian territory that stretches towards uh, Kerch and Crimea. Now, this is significant for two reasons. Uh, reason number one is that Russia does not have very many of these A-50 aircraft. They're important uh, for its understanding of the battle space and particularly for enabling uh, its fighter jets to launch attacks at Ukraine. Uh, the UK has said that Russia only has eight of them left. So in one sense, they might be able to immediately replace the one that has gone down. But it's also important, perhaps more important, because there will be doubt uh, and confusion and concern over how Ukraine was able to carry out this attack. Now, uh, in the early weeks of the war, one of these aircraft was reportedly destroyed in Belarus by Belarusian partisans who apparently uh, managed to land a drone on top of the aircraft. Now, these aircraft are the ones with large disks on top of the fuselage, which is effectively its radar. Um, Ukraine had said that up to this point, it had been very difficult for them to shoot these aircraft down. Understandably, they are early warning aircraft. They are supposed to detect incoming threats, as I said, from up to 650 kilometers away. So what's unclear is how Ukraine managed to get a missile close enough to this plane to destroy it. Now, there was speculation from uh, a number of aviation experts, including Justin Bronk, who's the air power expert at the Rusi think tank, suggesting that it was a Patriot Pac-2 Gem missile. Now, there are various missiles that the Patriot air defense system can fire. We understand Ukraine has a, at least six of these Patriot systems. They are its most sophisticated air defense system. They've been used to protect Kyiv, the capital, and critical national infrastructure against some of Russia's most sophisticated and advanced missiles. 
The Pack 2 missile has a range of about 100 miles and it works by creating a huge explosion in the vicinity of its target, uh, sending out metal fragments to destroy, uh, normally to destroy an incoming missile would be the reason it would be used. What's interesting is that uh, the Aleutian that did manage to land at Anapa, uh, photographs emerged of its fuselage and its tail fin showing them very heavily peppered with shrapnel. And those photos, the experts were saying, appeared to suggest the theory uh, that this was an American Patriot missile that had been used. Perhaps yet another example of the way Ukraine is innovating, taking uh, the weapons and technology at its disposal uh, to achieve new uh, and often surprising uh, and impressive results on the battlefield. Soon after that, we've had the warning from uh, Admiral Rob Bauer, chair of NATO's military committee, warning that there needs to be a transformation of the alliance to put it onto a war footing, effectively saying uh, that the member nations of NATO need to prepare for war. If they want peace, uh, they must prepare for war. Now, we've heard warnings like this before. Uh, you know, the largest war in Europe since the Second World War is unfolding in Ukraine. But of course, it comes against an even more worrying backdrop. In the week since we made our last front line, uh, a number of nations, America, Britain, Israel, Jordan, Iran, Pakistan and the Houthi rebels in Yemen have all launched missile strikes against their respective enemies. Uh, the US and UK launching joint strikes against the Houthis uh, about a week ago. That was after the Houthi rebels defied repeated warnings to cease their attacks on shipping. But those attacks have not ceased. And we've seen a number of uh, missile strikes, at least two missile strikes, which have hit cargo ships, one in the Red Sea, uh, one in the Gulf of Aden since those airstrikes. And America has responded with more strikes. Iran launched uh, missiles and drones into its neighbor Pakistan. Pakistan has responded with a similar strike about 48 hours later. Iran had already hit targets in Iraq and Syria this week. Israel continues its onslaught in Gaza and news emerging today that Jordan is believed to have carried out a strike in neighboring Syria as well. So all of this makes a very fragile region, not just perhaps in the Middle East and further east, but in Europe as well, concerns that any one of these incidents could become the flashpoint that ignites a much larger regional conflict. Moving back to Ukraine, I'll have a quick roundup of what's happened in the last week. The conflict continues in this sort of grinding stage on the front line. Things have quietened down. There hasn't been significant movement on the front line, but the missile and drone strikes continue. A couple of interesting developments. News has emerged that Russia has been using its Iranian-made Shahid Kamikaze one-way attack drones. These are, you know, sort of large, uh, low and slow drones which have been used particularly last winter, to attack Ukrainian infrastructure. They appear to have been used for the first time on the front lines against some sort of military targets much closer to the front. And that's significant because the air defence capability at the front uh, is not necessarily the same uh, as advanced, sophisticated or comprehensive as it is further back at the higher value targets. And that shows that Russia may be sort of... Uh, always trying to evolve its tactics to sidestep or find ways around Ukraine's defences. We've also heard in the last 24 hours that in the most recent strike against the southern port city of Odessa, 
uh, that these drones were coming in at a critically low altitude. Again, perhaps an indication that Russia is trying to evolve its tactics to make uh, these strikes more successful. Ukraine has said that most of its forces are now moving to a defensive posture, but outside of Ukraine, we see evidence that the sabotage attacks continue. Today, reports emerging of uh, strikes against at least three railway lines in different parts of Russia, uh, reports of a drone strike against an, ale, uh, against an oil depot in St. Petersburg, and officials in Moscow region also saying that they shot down what is believed to be a Ukrainian drone. Perhaps the most spectacular uh, image was of an enormous fire at a polyester factory, the Shakhti polyester factory in the Rostov region, which neighbors uh, Ukraine. It's not clear what caused that and why Ukraine might have attacked a polyester factory. If indeed this was an act of sabotage, it's still not clear. But there are unconfirmed reports that perhaps that factory was being used for a purpose other than making mattress. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And pillow fillings. Thank you very much for watching. As ever, if you have any questions, please make them in the comments. If you're watching on YouTube, make them in the comments uh, below and we will endeavor to answer, the, answer them in the next episode. Uh, some of the questions from last time. Uh, is the winter an enforced ceasefire? It's a good question. In one sense, you know, the freezing weather conditions make it very difficult for people to fight, to exist in the trenches, to exist in bunkers. It's very uncomfortable. It's very cold. However, uh, when the ground freezes, as it is doing now, that actually makes it easier for heavy armoured vehicles to move around without getting bogged down. So on the one hand, you have the difficulty just of existing in the cold. You have the loss of the leaves uh, and the foliage, which often provide useful cover for soldiers and for vehicles against surveillance, against thermal imaging uh, and drones. Uh, but the, the change in terrain does sometimes make it easier for vehicles to move. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Russia timed its invasion nearly two years ago uh, for the 24th of February, because the ground was still largely frozen. And had they waited a few more weeks, uh, then there would have been a thaw. And indeed, they found themselves fighting in that thaw. And that's one of the reasons uh, the assault on Kiev got so bogged down uh, in the early weeks of the invasion. Worth also pointing out that uh, despite things slowing down, there are concerns, particularly in Ukraine, that Russia may be planning a new offensive in the northeastern Kharkiv region, in the countryside surrounding Ukraine's second city. Uh, this driven in many ways by Ukraine's uh, successful attacks into Russian territory there, into Belgorod Oblast and indeed Belgorod city. Uh, suggestions that Russia may want to try and push Russia uh, push Ukrainian artillery back uh, in order to inhibit those attacks, concerns uh, that that might become a new focus of Russia's fury. 
Question number two, what has happened to the money? Really good question, really important. Uh, $60 billion of US aid remains blocked in US Congress by political wrangling there between the Democrats and the Republicans. Domestic political wrangling primarily over trying to, the Republicans want the Democrats to do more uh, to build a wall and secure the southern border with Mexico. Uh, the, US, the White House wants to push through aid uh, to Israel and to Ukraine, but that is being held up. Slightly better news in Brussels in the European Union, where there is a 50 billion euro package earmarked for Ukraine. That was vetoed by Hungary. Uh, Hungary has since indicated that there are two areas they would like to see concessions, which may uh, move them to remove that veto. One is, uh, instead of having this aid guaranteed for a four-year period, they want it reviewed on a 12-monthly uh, basis. And also in this sort of horse trading, the suggestions that uh, they'd like to see, Budapest would like to see an extension of a sort of COVID recovery program. Effectively, that's a way for Hungary to take more money, to get more money from Brussels coffers in exchange for uh, giving the rubber stamp the green light for this money to go through to Ukraine. Of course, we've also seen last week that Britain announced 2.5 billion uh, in military aid for this financial, this coming financial year. Uh, and then the last 24 hours, Germany has also announced that it will provide around £6 billion worth of military aid. That's military aid unilaterally, and that's partly because uh, of problems with the sort of collective EU uh, programmes being held up, being vetoed by one uh, recalcitrant or, or, or troublesome member, in this case, Hungary. And final question for today is about how, what, has there been any development, any progress on Ukraine's domestic uh, arms manufacturing base? And, and it's another really good question because certainly as Ukraine faces a sort of slowdown in the international support and some signs of division and debate uh, and a reluctance from its allies, it is trying to step up and arm itself. Alexander Kamashin, the Minister for Critical Industries, has announced at the uh, World Economic Forum in Davos a couple of really interesting things that Ukraine is now manufacturing NATO caliber ammunition. So those are shells that can work in the NATO guns that NATO allies have provided. NATO guns use 155 millimeter ammunition that is slightly larger than the 152 millimeter heavy artillery ammunition that uh, Russian made and Soviet era guns use. Uh, he's also talked about Ukraine's ammunition production in general. He said it's doubled its capacity. But most interestingly, he said that Ukraine has found a way to combine parts of uh, American and Western donated air defense systems with its old existing Soviet systems. Now, the suggestion is, is they might be able to use uh, modern uh, NATO donated or Western donated radars with old Soviet missile launchers. So, for example, and also possibly using book missile launchers. Those are the types of uh, missile launchers that have been used in the Ukrainian conflict since 2014, using them with uh, American-made missiles, particularly the RIM-7 missile. That's an anti-ship-based uh, air defense missile. So effectively, uh, another example of Ukraine's kind of ingenuity, um, necessity being the mother of invention, finding ways to solve its problems, uh, finding ways to use what it has, the means available uh, to achieve what it needs to do, which is to hold off Russian forces and ultimately to push them backwards. Thank you for watching or listening. If you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget, ask your questions in the comments below and we'll do our best to answer them next time. If you're listening, then please don't forget to subscribe to Frontline with me, Jerome Starkey, for the latest news on the war in Ukraine.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 